Um, for those of you who don't know me, or if this is your first time here, my name is Hunter Thrasher, and I am not the senior pastor here. I'm the creative arts pastor. <laughs> senior Pastor Steve is on vacation in Boston, and so as you can tell, we're kind of doing what we want while he's gone. <laughs> Um, but they're going to a Red Sox game tonight. They're having a big time up in Boston. And so Daniel and I have been given the reins to, to finish up this series that we've been in called Let Them Hear. I mean, this has been an awesome series so far, hasn't it? I mean, so powerful three message that, messages that we have had um, the past three weeks. If you've missed out on it, if you've missed one of these three weeks that we've already been through, you have absolutely got, it is, it, it is almost a requirement to come back to church next week to, to catch up and to listen to the first three messages of this sermon series because we have been diving into what Jesus wants us to hear in his parables in Matthew, um, in the book of, in the gospel of Matthew. A lot of the times, Jesus would start his stories or his sermons with this phrase, all who have ears, let them hear. And it wasn't just Jesus in the book of Matthew, but you see Paul does it in the book of Romans, John does it in the book of Revelation, and they would start, they would start something with all who have ears, let them hear, because they wanted to make sure that you were listening in. And even Jesus, sometimes he would stop in the middle of one of his stories, or he would stop in one of the middle of his parables, and he would just say, listen. He would say, listen. And it wasn't because he wanted to make sure that they were hearing him, because he knew that they could hear him, but he wanted to make sure that they understood the meaning of what he was saying. They did not, he, not only did he want them to hear the words, but he wanted to hear them to hear the meaning. So last week, we took a look at Matthew chapter 20. We looked at what it might, what it might look like if you are in a contract with God, and what we truly deserve as sinful people. Um, you don't want to miss out on that one. It was a great sermon, so make sure you go check it out. But this week, we're going to shift our focus a little bit, and we're going to look at something different. I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. Someone get there pretty quick. Because as I was looking through the book of Matthew, and you just flip through there and you look at the parables of Jesus, you notice that over and over again in so many of his parables, he starts them with the same six words. And if somebody's there already, what are the first six words that Jesus says that are written in red right there? Someone just shout it out. The kingdom of heaven is like, that's right. The kingdom of heaven is like. And so many times in the parables of Jesus there in Matthew, he starts his stories with those six words. And as you dive into the book of Matthew, as you really look closely from the beginning of it to the end, you see that the theme of the gospel of Matthew is the kingdom of heaven. I mean, from the parables to the Sermon on the Mount, even to his death and resurrection, you can tell that Jesus in the book of Matthew wants us to hear what he is saying about the kingdom of God. So today, let's listen to what he's saying about the kingdom of God. Of God. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, the kingdom of heaven is like. All right, now turn to your other neighbor and say, the kingdom of heaven is like. All right, I'm doing that not to be awkward or to make you uncomfortable in church, heaven forbid that we be uncomfortable in church, but I'm doing that because I want you to really get it. Not only is the, is the book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew about the kingdom of God, but there's evidence all through scripture that from Genesis to Revelation, that the entire moral, the entire message of the Bible is about the kingdom of God. So let's look at our scripture this morning. We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 22, 
verses 1 through 14. It says this, Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Verse 4, Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But as they paid no attention, but they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. Catch that. Those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone that you find. Verse 10. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? But the man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this word that you've given us this morning. And this morning as we dive into what you have to say to us, God, we pray that our ears are open so that we can hear what you're trying to tell us about your kingdom through this parable of, in Matthew. And we ask these things in the name of your son, Christ Jesus. Amen. So this is a great parable that Jesus uses. And like many of the parables that we've been studying over the past few weeks, it's one of those that we are probably pretty familiar with, especially if we've grown up in the church our entire lives. We're probably pretty familiar with this parable. In fact, I'm willing to bet that when I said, turn to chapter Matthew chapter 22, we're talking about the kingdom of God, a lot of you probably already knew the exact parable that we were going to. And so we have this experience with this parable. We are familiar with it. But this morning, I don't, I don't want our experience, I don't want our familiarity with this parable to get in the way of what God has for us this morning. So let's look at it. And first, I want to look at what is Jesus trying to say to the people that he is speaking to at that time? 2,000 years ago, when Jesus was actually saying these words, what did he want the people listening to him to hear? Now, as you look at the passage and you read it as a whole, I don't think it takes some like, profound theological breakthrough to figure out that Jesus is speaking to the very people who he is saying rejected his first invitation. Those are the people that he's speaking to. I mean, think about it. He's talking to the disciples. He is talking to the rabbis. He's talking to the Pharisees. He is talking to the people of Israel at this time, and he's kind of pointing a finger at them. And he's saying, hey, you know what? You were invited to this party. And over and over again, all through the Old Testament, you were invited to participate in this great party, to participate in this marriage feast, to participate in the kingdom, but you didn't want anything to do with it. The first invitation that we see there in verse 3 is probably talking about the prophets that were sent in the Old Testament. 
Right there at the end of the Old Testament, you see all of these prophets that come and they, and they try to bring this message of, of God back to the Israelites, try to kind of point them back on track. And over and over again, they would come into a city, they would prophesy, and they would be run out of town. So the first invitation was rejected. The follow-up invitation that comes in verse four came through prophetic Christian missionaries. I want you to think about John the Baptist. This is probably the number one guy that they were talking about. Even Jesus himself is considered one of these prophetic Christian missionaries. And all of these people were mistreated and killed for the message that they were sending by the Israelites. I mean, just a few chapters after this, we're looking at chapter 22. I think Matthew is 32 chapters along. And so just a few chapters after this, they hung Jesus on the cross for what he was saying here. So the invitation instead, we see, is given to everyone else, both the good and the bad, the passage says. And while the king destroyed those who rejected it the first time. Now I want you to realize the Israel that Jesus is speaking into right now is a destroyed Israel. They are in Roman captivity. They have seen Jerusalem just in the past couple hundred years. They have seen Jerusalem be destroyed. They are not free by any means and he's talking to these destroyed people. So I want you to write this down. This is our first point. This is what Jesus has to say to the people that he's speaking to. He's saying that God's chosen people turned down the invitation into his, his kingdom because they were too busy. They were too busy. It says that one was tending to his flocks, another was tending to his business. I mean, if you look through some of his notes, John Wesley um, wrote a note right here in the, the passage of this scripture and it said one was tending to his farm. One was tending to what he already had. Another was tending to his business. He was tending to what he wanted to have. So they were taking care of the things they already had. They were taking care of the things that they wanted to have. And they were too busy to accept the invitation into God's kingdom. And you know, I think that as the people listened to this parable of Jesus, they probably knew exactly what he meant. I think that they probably got the message that he was trying to portray. Ooh, that's bad. I'm just going to hold it in my hand. We'll see if that works. It's, it's going to be weird since I do this a lot, but whatever. You'll get used to it. Anyways, I think that the people that Jesus was talking to probably understood exactly what he meant. He knew that he was telling them, hey, you know what? You had your chance. You had your chance. You rejected the invitation and you've missed out. And so this gives us a little context of the passage, but it also, and it also gives us our first major point. And the second big thing that we see in this passage is that once the king invites the Israelites, basically, once the king invites the first people and they turn him down, he then instructs his assistants to go into every corner of the city, to every corner of the city and invite anyone that they can find. Now, I want us to really pay attention to this part right here because I think that so many times we read these parables over and over as children and we can really, we get so comfortable with them that we really miss out on the significance of this, of what, what's going on here. So the people that, Jesus, that the king invited, I mean, he was a king, so the first, the first invitation probably went out to the wealthy. I mean, they went to the influencers, the politicians, the business owners. These were the highfalutin class of society. And they, they rejected the first one, so he sent them another one. So he sent another invitation to these highfalutin people. Well, the third invitation, he tells his assistants, he tells his servants to go out into 
the streets. Go out into the streets. And you can probably imagine here that a lot of the people that received this third invitation are not near the caliber of people that received the first two. I mean, they're probably some of the poor in the city. They're probably some of the outcasts. They're probably some of the misfits. And in fact, it seems that they were so out of touch with this part of society, this wedding feast society, that they didn't even really know what clothes to wear. And I mean, as you look at the passage of Scripture, when you look at the parable, you can, re- you can read all the way through it, and you get to these last few verses about the king throwing the guy out who's not wearing the wedding clothes, and you kind of think, man, that's kind of harsh. That's, that's a little bit harsh to, to just throw him out. I mean, you're going to invite everyone. You're going to invite all of these people, and then you're going to expect them just to instinctively know what to wear. You're going to expect them to come wearing something that they can't even really afford, I mean, these people probably couldn't even afford wedding garments. And so, you, what did you really expect? What did the king expect? Did he invite them to come in a state that is beyond their means? And yeah, you can look at it and it can seem a little bit harsh, but I don't think that that's the stance that Jesus really wants us to take on this parable, because I think what Jesus is saying to these people is yes, all are invited, but it's still a wedding. It's still a celebration, it's a banquet, and just because all are invited doesn't mean that they can show up without any preparation at all. So get this, all were invited to come, but to stay, they must change their robes. I was, reminding while, I was reminded while I was reading this passage, um, particularly, particularly this, whatever, this part, of a couple months ago, I was able to officiate my first wedding between two of my greatest friends, and it was the first wedding I had ever, you know, officiated, and I was so, so nervous, so nervous. I mean, I want you to imagine your wedding day and how nervous you were if you're married, how nervous you were on your wedding day, and everything that had to fall perfectly into place, and then go ahead and imagine that the minister, it's his first one, he has no idea what he's doing, and how comfortable would you be? Okay, yeah, so we were all just a little bit terrified. Um, And the night before was the rehearsal and the rehearsal dinner, and we're going through and we're making sure, you know, everything's in line. I made them go through an extra time just for me, so I knew that I I wasn't gonna mess something up. And I remembered about halfway through something that dad, he tells every couple, every, every wedding party he's ever, he's ever married, at the rehearsal dinner, he will say, one piece, he gives one piece of advice, don't lock your knees. That's his one piece of advice. And so I said, oh yeah, and guys, just please, please don't lock your knees. Just please don't. And I looked right at the groom and I said, because buddy, if you pass out, if you pass out, you're going to wake up, there's going to be a ring on your finger, we're all going to be at the reception, you're married and you would have totally missed it, because I'm not doing this again. And so the day comes around, the next day comes, and it's in Oklahoma City in the middle of June, and it was a hot day for June in Oklahoma City. And we're all in our suits and ties, and we get to the wedding, we get to the, uh, to the chapel just a, about an hour early, and it's this beautiful chapel. And we get in there, and it's this hot day, and I don't know if their air conditioner was broken, or if it wasn't working, or if they didn't turn it on, but it was hot. And we're all in these suits, and by the time that the groom and I, we're the first ones to, you know, kind of walk down the aisle, by the time we get from the back of the the chapel to the front of the chapel, we are both drenched in sweat. 
I mean, it is disgusting. I, I was disgusting. He had like sweat running down right here. I think he had gel coming down in his eyes. And you know, he's trying to blink it out. And so the attendants come down and they're all sweating, they're fanning. And as the bride starts to walk in, as the bride starts to walk in, I noticed about five more seconds and it would have been way too late that I had locked my stupid knees. <laughs> And so the groom is sweating, the bride is sweating, the attendants are sweating, the pastor is literally about to pass out. And in that moment, in the 100 degrees in the middle of Oklahoma City, I would have given anything in that chapel to be wearing gym shorts and a t-shirt and chacos. I mean, I would have given anything. But I wasn't because it was a wedding and I was the pastor, so I can't show up not wearing a suit and tie. Chase, I'm gonna, I'm gonna switch to the handheld. Y'all give me a second. You can tell everything goes just as rehearsed around here. But I showed up, and I was because I showed up in the suit and tie because I was the pastor, and that's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to show up to a wedding if you're an invited guest. You're supposed to be there in wedding attire. I mean, think about it. You're there to to have this great celebration to marry these two people off, and honestly, they provide everything for you. I mean, they provide usually a meal. They will provide cake. They provide this great evening out to celebrate with them. And the least that you could do is that you could show up wearing your best. And I think that's what Jesus is saying here, that yes, everyone is invited, but they were still expected to show up wearing their best. So we've got these these two clear statements from Jesus in this passage. The first is that the people of God missed the invitation because they weren't willing to come. And of those who were invited, it was expected of them to change their clothes. So that's the two things that Jesus was was trying to get across to the people of Israel that he was speaking to. But how does that apply to us today? In the 21st century church here in Greenbrier, Arkansas, at Greenbrier Nazarene, how does that apply to us today? What is Jesus specifically calling us into this morning? And I think these two points that are made here in Scripture can easily be translated to us today, especially and most importantly, I think this first one. As I've pointed out in some of the studies that I've done on Wednesday nights, um, and I think I even pointed out one time last year when I preached on a Sunday morning, um, when I was preaching on the book of Jeremiah, is that we, as the body of Christ, are called to be, through Christ, the new people of Israel. We are called to be the new people of Israel. We are God's chosen people who he has called to take his message out into the world, which was the original mission of the people of Israel back in the book of Genesis, is that they were called to take God's message into the world. And so now we have that new, we have that new mission, we have that mission because we are the new people of God. And that's exciting. That's exciting because we have the first invitation now. And that's what Jesus is saying here, is that my church, the body of Christ, now has the first invitation. And it's exciting, but it's also just a little bit concerning, because look what the people, look in the parable what the people did with the first invitation. They rejected it. I mean, could it be that for all of us here today, just like for the original children of Israel, 
there's always going to be plenty of legitimate reasons for missing out on this awesome party that God's throwing. I mean, all of our excuses can make perfect sense at the time, I think. You know, maybe we're busy farming. We're taking care of, of what we have. Or maybe we're busy with our business. We're taking care of what we want to have. Or maybe it's just a little too risky to accept the invitation. Or maybe it might go just a little too far past the norms of society. And really, I mean, do we really need the banquet anyways? All right, I want you to think about that question. Do we really even need the banquet anyways? You know, I don't think that that question, that, that question I think is a perfect description of the American life today. Do we need, the, do we need to go to the banquet anyways? Because I want you to think about it. We have so much in our society. We have so much at the tip of our fingers. We have so much going on. I'm talking about medicine. We're talking about food and shelter. We have so much at the tip of our fingers that we have to really struggle. We have to really try hard to find a way in our lives that we can rely on God. I mean, why pray for healing when we've got doctors and hospitals? Why should we pray for our daily bread when we have jobs and we can go out and buy it on our own? And why should we pray for shelter when we have a great house? So we think that we don't need the banquet. And God is showing this morning, us this morning in this parable, in this passage, he is showing us that he is totally unwilling. He is unwilling to force anybody to come to this party. He's just not going to do it. He's not going to force anybody to come. But he's going to have it with us or without us because he is going to go out and he's going to find the people who have no better place to be. He's going to find the people that have no better place to turn. They've got no better place to be. So they need, they desperately need the banquet. He is looking for the people who understand that they don't have it all. And I mean, I really want you to understand this and, and understand kind of what I'm saying. If I was Jesus, I would say, listen, listen closely. Because do you understand that we could get so comfortable in our American life that we could completely miss the invitation into God's kingdom because we were totally unwilling to look past our comforts and to seek out exactly where we need Jesus? And I'm talking about all of us today. Whether this is your first time in a church, whether you were saved and sanctified at the age of 11 and have followed Jesus ever since, I'm talking to all of us because I don't mean that it's acceptable just to rely on God when we face trials and tribulations. That's not acceptable. But do you rely on God as your daily sustenance? Do you rely on God even when everything's going fine? Because I'll be honest with you, I can make it through most days without ever thinking about Jesus one single time. And you can too. You can make it through your day. You can wake up in the morning and survive the day without ever thinking about Jesus. So, hang on, I've just lost my Boy, I got really excited for me to lose my part, point right there. I mean, every morning when you wake up, do you think... To make it through this day, I'm going to have to rely on what Jesus did for me on that cross. I'm going to have to rely on the sacrifice that he gave for me just to make it through the day, or are you perfectly comfortable? And that's tough. That's tough to think about. It, it really is. It's, it's, it's tough to realize that I could live my life without having to rely on Jesus. But let's move on. 
Um, I'm kind of feeling the need to have an altar call, and we've still got a little bit to unpack here. But because we haven't gotten to the point about the robes. And this changing of the garment, this changing of the robes at the wedding feast, it's, it's an imagery that's used all throughout Scripture to signify conversion or to signify putting on the righteousness of Jesus. It's a change. It's something, that, it's a change within us. It's a conversion. And I think that Galatians 3.28 points this out perfectly because it shows us right here, it shows us that becoming a disciple of Jesus means that we have to shed, we have to strip down all of our other identities. We have to shed who we are and all the other clothes that we are tempted to wear and become one with Jesus. Galatians 3.28 says this. It says that we are neither Jew nor Gentile. I, I quote this scripture almost every sermon I preach because it's so awesome. It says, we are neither Jew nor Gentile. We are neither slave nor free. Let's keep going here. We are neither American nor Canadian. We are neither black, white, or Hispanic. We are neither liberal nor conservative. We aren't dog lovers or cat lovers, but we are all one in Jesus Christ. And we shed all of the other identities to stay at the party, to fully participate in the kingdom of God, We've got to change our clothes. And I don't think there's a passage of Scripture that sums all of this up better than Revelation chapter 7. It paints this perfect picture not only of what this party looks like, but it also paints this picture of what the perfect party guest looks like. Let's look at it. It's Revelation 7, verses 13 through 17. I'm reading out of a different translation, so just read with me up on the screen. It says, One of the elders spoke to me. Who are these people dressed all in white, he asked. Where have they come from? Sir, I replied, you know. These are the ones, he said, who have come out of the great suffering. I'm going to read that again. These are the ones, he said, who have come out of the great suffering. They have washed their clothes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. That is why they're there in front of God's throne, serving him day and night in his temple. The one who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They will never be hungry again or thirsty again. The sun will not scorch them, nor will any fierce heat. The lamb who is in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. He leads them to springs of running water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Man, that's a powerful picture that the book of Revelation paints for us. And I I want you to realize this morning, I want you to stay with me, because John in that passage is not speaking about something that's coming a long ways away, this distant future, but he is speaking into our lives right at this very moment. And here's why I think that. It's because at the beginning of the book of Revelation, the angel comes down to John and and he tells John, write what you see. And here, In Revelation chapter 7, John sees hurting people. He sees people who are broken. And he's saying that if you're hurting, or if you're hungry, or if you're thirsty, or if you're beaten down, there is one who will shelter you with his presence. And when you come out, when you come out of the great suffering, and when you change your identity, when you change your robe, There's a lamb who will be your shepherd. This morning, I want to open up our altars. And if you have a need that you'd like to get 
that you'd like to bring before the feet of Jesus and lay down, you can feel free to do that and to come with your families. But I also want to extend to you an invitation. It's an invitation to the banquet of the Lamb. It's an invitation that's good news if you feel fragile or if you feel broken or if you feel vulnerable. It's good news if you're afraid or if you feel like you've been left behind because you are welcome in God's banquet hall. But if you don't feel those things, if you feel like you've gotten comfortable where you are in our American society that can seemingly fulfill every single need that we have, I think God has a different invitation for you. And that's, he's inviting you to step out of your comfort zone and to find a way to beg him for a way to rely on Jesus. To beg him to make you uncomfortable, to see where you're hurting, to see where you desperately need the grace of Jesus Christ. And I want you to think about this because it's a big decision. I mean, God is calling you to be very vulnerable and very transparent and to, to just walk, to leave your comfort zone in your seat. And you have to decide right now, you have to decide if you're gonna open yourself up to him or if you're gonna walk away from the invitation. And today, if you walk out, I, I hate it when pastors say things like, this, this could be your last chance. In all probabilities, this isn't gonna be your last chance. But if you walk out of here today without making a decision, then you've made a decision. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes and we're gonna look at another passage of scripture. I wanna read you this one more passage of scripture and in your imagination, I want you to picture exactly what this looks like. This is Revelation chapter seven, verses nine through 12. It's the verses that come just before the ones that we just read and it quite vividly describes the banquet that Jesus is talking about. It says this, after this I looked and lo and behold, a huge gathering which nobody could possibly count from every nation and tribe and people and language. They were standing in front of the throne and in front of the lamb. They were dressed in white robes, holding palm branches in their hands. They were shouting at the tops of their voices, salvation belongs to our God, to the one who sits on the throne and to the lamb. All the angels who were standing around the throne and the elders and the four creatures fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God. Yes, amen, they were saying. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. I mean, what a perfect image. What a perfect image of what that banquet's gonna look like when we gather around to feast when we gather to feast on the presence and the grace of Jesus. This morning, as you have your heads bowed, I want you to ask yourself and God these questions. What is keeping you from fully participating in the kingdom? Are you too busy? Are you unwilling to accept the invitation in your comfort? Are you unwilling to truly, to be transformed by his sacrifice and to accept your new identity in Christ's kingdom?
you've missed everything I've said this morning, I want you to get this one sentence. The message of the kingdom is that you are invited just as you are, but you must leave in changed clothes. You must leave in changed clothes. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you this morning for the message that you've given us, for this parable here in Matthew where you so beautifully paint what this feast will look like one day. God, and if we have rejected your invitation, we come before you humbly and we apologize. God, we are sorry. Lord, we pray that if we've gotten comfortable where we are, if we have decided to to live our life without relying on you, God, we pray that you change that today. God, I pray that we as your people decide today that Jesus is the only way that we can live through the rest of the day. God, in this morning, we pray that you will change our identity. We pray that you will strip us down of who we are, of all the titles that come before our names, God. We pray that you will strip that away from us, Lord, and we will only be known as a child of God. God, that we will be one, that we will be one with Jesus. Once again, we thank you for your spirit here in this place. We thank you for for your presence, for giving us your word this morning, Lord. We pray that as we leave this place, people will notice that we are different from this encounter, God. That they will notice the difference in our lives and how we interact with others and in our relationships. God, we thank you so much for who you are, for that transforming power that you, that transforming sacrifice that you gave on the cross for us and our sins, God. We ask all these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Y'all are dismissed.